Hi, I'm Pat. Welcome to Passion of the Geeks Unplugged. Usually Greg and I talk about geek and pop culture and everything else we enjoy, but sometimes there are things that only one of us is an expert in. This is what Passion of the Geeks Unplugged is for. Shorter, only slightly edited and straight to the point. Unplugged. So let's not lose any time. Uh, But first... I have to apologize for the clickbaity title of this episode. You know, recently I played through an Amiga game that I will talk about in this episode. And it got me thinking about open world games in general and fully 3D open world games in particular. But let's very quickly define what an open world game actually is, because people tend to mix up a lot of things when it comes to what they see as an open-world game. Generally, it means that a game presents its virtual world in a way so that the player can explore it freely, instead of a level-based linear progression. Nothing more. That's open-world because uh, the world is open to the player. I think nowadays when people talk about open world games, they mean games that feature a huge freely explorable map with a lot of icons on it, where you can do missions or side quests or tasks or whatever the game calls them. And quite often in modern games, these icons get unlocked by a game mechanic that people often call Ubisoft Towers, because Assassin's Creed and Far Cry 3 basically introduced this to the general public. But many other games like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild used a similar approach to uncover the game's map. Anyway, staying with Legend of Zelda. The original one on the Nintendo Entertainment System is one of the earliest examples of open-world design that most people know. Of course, (laughs) there were others before that. Even on the NES, there was Hydlight, and there were even earlier examples on other systems. Most prominently, of course, the Ultima series. But let's go back, or rather forward, to what today's gamers consider open world. And that, I think, has been defined or practically defined with one very successful game released in 2001, and that is Grand Theft Auto 3. While the prequels used some 3D features to give some depth to the city, they basically were top-down two-dimensional games. But Part 3 shifted the point of view in a way that it suddenly felt very immersive. I think that's what a lot of people remember. You no longer watch someone exploring an open world from high above. By being closer to your character, it began feeling like you're 
walking through the city. Of course, there were, again, other games that did exactly that, but not quite like that. GTA 3 allowed you to use various vehicles and seamlessly explore the entire map. For a lot of people, that felt new and exciting. Now, what if I told you you could have that experience 10 years earlier? A seamless, fully 3D polygonal open world with various vehicles and, well, weapons and stuff. In 1991, a little game simply called Hunter was released in the Amiga and featured exactly that, a large, fully 3D open world made of untextured but filled polygons. And while these kind of vector graphics had been used for games before, in Hunter you were on foot and could, like in GTA later, board various vehicles to move freely around the world. Now the world consisted of several small islands that were randomly generated with the help of some fractal geometry magic. It looks neat. I like the style with the untextured polygons. The main character was sort of a special agent, soldier type, who wore a green uniform, which occasionally made him kind of invisible against the green grass polygons. He also had a very limited set of movement animations, but unlike Claude, the protagonist of GTA 3, our main character in Hunter could actually swim. Sure, Hunter didn't have quite as many different vehicles as GTA 3, but being able to drive about 15 different vehicles, including two helicopters, a bicycle, a hovercraft, and even a windsurfer the board in 1991 was mind-boggling. Of course, Hunter's gameplay is a little clunky when seen through modern eyes. The Amiga only had a digital joystick with a single fire button, so they had to include some mouse-driven menus and keyboard shortcuts. But with a little effort, it actually plays pretty decently and is a lot of fun. If you use an Amiga with a turbo card or sufficiently beefed up emulator settings and perhaps the WHD load version of the game. The other game I want to briefly talk about when it comes to a 30 years old 3D open world is Midwinter 2 Flames of Freedom by Mike Singleton. Hey, what's with Midwinter 1, I hear you asking. Isn't that open world 2? Well, it is, it is. Mike Singleton made open world games since 1984 when he created Laws of Midnight. But Midwinter 1 has a larger emphasis on strategy, so it's not exactly what I'm looking for in this episode. We will probably hear more about Mike Singleton in my Unplugged episodes in the future, and maybe Midwinter 1 will be part of them. For now, however, let's concentrate on Midwinter 2. In Flames of Freedom, you are on a group of tropical islands. You can explore them freely, use several vehicles from cars to helicopters to tanks to boats, and you can even explore underwater. 
switching seamlessly between above and underwater, and also use submarines. All the while getting different weapons to destroy enemy units and buildings and meet people who live on these islands and talk to them or uh, kill them. <laughs> yeah, sounds a little bit like Far Cry 3, doesn't it? Yeah, it's obviously not quite as graphically impressive. Again, we're dealing with untextured but filled polygons here. But again, the vector graphics were quite impressive back then. And I have to confess, I like the style. Flames of Freedom even adds some RPG elements, as the agent you play has some abilities and skills which make some encounters play out like in a Dungeons and Dragons game. Need information from someone? Bribe them, or persuade them, or threaten them, or even use your sex appeal to bring that person on your side. It's, it's a great game that arguably suffers from a less-than-ideal control scheme. Anyway, we're not here to talk about bad controls. When it comes to an open-world game, Midwinter 2 delivers. Exploring the islands and completing mission objectives and various interesting vehicles using all sorts of different weapons and getting from one contact to the next, oh, that can be a lot of fun with the right mindset. Both Hunter and Flames of Freedom reward exploring on your own. Hidden weapons and vehicles wait for those who find them. Destroying enemies outside of your mission path gives you monetary rewards. And yes, both games are graphically rudimentary, so buildings all look the same or are kind of one of three variants. People look the same in the 3D environment, but Midwinter 2 actually has a cool face construction kit for players and NPCs. <clears throat> yeah, and since both games use fractal geometry for the landscapes, there are no caves or similar complex structures to explore. And yet, these two games show us how fully 3D open-world environments looked and played in 1991. 30 years ago. I like both a lot. And I think even though they need a bit to get into, they can be a lot of fun. So, this is it for this week. If you like this episode of Passion of the Geeks, a rating or a subscription in your favorite podcatcher would be awesome. We're on all major podcasting services and on www.passionofthegeeks.com and on YouTube. And you can send questions and suggestions to passionofthegeeks at gmail.com and you can find us on Twitter at PassionOTGeeks. So thank you for listening and take care. <laughs>